Well, this is the uh, Sunday before Thanksgiving, and so our theme for this Lord's Day is Thanksgiving. And um, you know, one of the challenges that you have when you're preaching is, uh, what, what more can we say about Thanksgiving? Now, I could just write a really, really good sermon and repeat it every year, but that doesn't, and we'd try, we'd all forget. So, uh, but, but that's, I'm challenged to, to see what else we can learn. I looked up the word thank, and I was, uh, I discovered or was reminded of something I guess I'd forgotten. You know, the word thank doesn't even appear, I think, until, I think it's, uh, First Chronicles. You know, think about that. The word thank doesn't appear in Genesis or Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Wouldn't you expect that? You know, some words like that are some surprising. I remember realizing I think the word love doesn't show up in the Bible until chapter 22 of Genesis. Well, the word thank is an important word, and I'd like to go to First Chronicles and, and learn some things from, from a, a, an expression of thanksgiving from David. Now, First Chronicles, um, I'm going to be in chapters uh, 20, uh, 28 and 29, really. And um, you can find it on page uh, 583. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, First Chronicles is one of those books that uh, if you read through the Bible, sometimes you get the ambition, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. And Chronicles is one of those uh, books that, frankly, can, can torpedo our efforts. It's... Um, you know, because this is one of those chronicles, there's a lot of chronicling. Chronicling the, some of these lengthy genealogies. And you think, okay, what's going on here and why? Well, let me give a little background to the book. This first Chronicles, and there's a second Chronicles. First and second Chronicles were originally one book. Chronicles. Uh, and it's written, we, we're not sure, but it's written after the return from the Babylonian exile. So, uh, Judah, Israel had been taken off into captivity. Judah conquered and, and taken into Babylonian captivity. And then when the Persians conquered the Babylonians, they allowed Israel to go back to the land. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll just read from Second, Second Chronicles chapter 36, 22, and 23. So at the end of this two-book uh, uh, saga, we read, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God has given me. That's stunning. He names the God of Israel. Yahweh God has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, that is, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. And so what he is saying is, there's this Persian king, and he says, the God of Israel has given me command over all the nations I've conquered. God of Israel is telling me to build him a temple in Jerusalem. And so he says, you Jews who are still in the, in the, in the empire... Go back to Israel, if you will, and build this temple. So the book of Chronicles is written maybe by Ezra in that context. Israel is coming back into the land. A land that was devastated by war and then left fallow for 70 years. Imagine if you came back to your home 
or your ancestral home. Maybe it's your grandparents' home, but it's all that your family has. Imagine what it would look like after 70 years. We, we talked about our missionary, Anne, um, coming back after months to her clinic and having months of work to restore it. So this is coming back to the land. And, and this, these books are to give them some understanding. So in First Chronicles, there's a, a lengthy bunch of genealogy to remind them who you are. They, and traces all the way back to Adam through Abraham, but especially emphasizes, and God gave us a king. He chose uh, Judah. He chose David to be our rulers. He chose certain ones to be priests. So he's reminding them, you each one have a part in this kingdom, and you have a role. But also, as he's talking about the building of the temple and how important that is, we'll see that in a little bit. As a reminder to them, it was important to David, and it's important to this returning population. In fact, um, these, where we're reading, David is coming to the end of his life. In chapter 28 and 29 of, of 1 Chronicles, we see King David's final words. I'm always, I'm always interested in those final words. As a matter of fact, I have a book of the last things that several people have said. And sometimes it's fascinating. Sometimes it's despairing. Sometimes it's, I wonder why they said that. And sometimes it's deeply meaningful. But imagine, this is, reminds me, for example, of our Lord in the upper room when he knows tomorrow he's to be crucified. What does he say to his disciples? Well, here David knows he's about to pass from the scene. And he wants to set things in order for the coming generation. But in these closing words, he has some words for us that help us with thanksgiving. I'm going to read somewhat selectively. In the first section of chapter 28, verses 1 to 10, they were said, David assembled at Jerusalem all the leaders of Israel, the officers of the tribes, the captains of divisions, the captains over the thousands and the hundreds. So he, he gathered in the nation and its rulers. And then verse 2, it says in chapter 28, verse 2, The king rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark and for the covenant of the Lord. Verse 3, But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name, because you've been a man of war and have shed blood. However, the Lord God of Israel chose me, David says, above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen Judah to be the ruler, and of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he's pleased with me to make me king over Israel. So, so David reminds them, God chose the nation of Israel to be his chosen people. The Messiah is coming through them. He chose the tribe of Judah to be the royal tribe. He chose the family of, of David's family to be the the actual king, and he chose David out of that family to be king of Israel. But God chose him. And then he goes on in verse 5, And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. So notice he's making it clear. We've just gone through a little election process, and we get a little frustrated some of these elections take, I think they're still counting some of them. 
How long does it take, we think? And, and, and who is going to be the one who's going to take over? And Oh, no, it's going to be a, a runoff. It's going to be a recount. Well, especially in something like this, David wanted to make it very clear. God has chosen my son Solomon to be the next king. Let there be no dissent. Let there be no questioning. Solomon is to be the king after me. And God, and he says, now God said to me, it is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts, and I've chosen him to be my son, and he'll be, and I'll, and I'll be his father. And God says, moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever if he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments. So God has said, I've chosen Solomon, and he's not only going to be king, he's the one that's going to build the temple. You see, David loved the Lord. And it bothered David. David was building a fine, uh, house for himself, building up the city. But he kept thinking, but God's ark, the ark of the covenant, is sitting in a tent. And so he said, I want to build God a temple. And God's answer was, no, you're not the right man. You've been a man of warfare and bloodshed. Not you, but your son will build my temple. And so David uh, reminds the people of that. And he says in verse, God says, Moreover, I will establish my kingdom in Solomon. Well, in verse 28, David goes on. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord and the hearing of God, so all of you know, the nation is basically gathered, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. And so especially now as he addresses the elders, he says, be careful, take it to heart. Seek out the Lord. And that, seek, seek him. And the, and the idea is chase after, pursue. Pursue the Lord. He calls for them to be intentional and fervent and seek the Lord. Again, imagine, you know, you're, you're having your final words with your family. What, what's on your mind? His concern is, most importantly, where's your heart? Where's your heart? And so he's trying to, as, as, as best he can, to tell them, seek the Lord with all your heart. Chase after him. And he says, in doing that, God will bless, and you'll be able to lead this land to your descendants. And so David has in mind a legacy. What's he passing on? Then he turns, so he's, he's spoken to the leadership. Seek after the Lord. Obey him. Then in verse 9 of 1 Chronicles 28, he turns to his son. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Now think, he's go consider, he says, for the Lord has chosen you to build a sanctuary. Be strong and do it. And so he says, God, God's called you to build the temple. And, and, and you can almost see David in one sense being jealous of his son. His great desire was that he might give that gift to the Lord. 
And God said, no, not you, your son. And so David's handing that off to him and says, and it's just urgent that, that Solomon pursue it with all his heart. But notice how he says to him. He says to his son, with this final charge, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and a willing mind. Know the God of your father. He said, you know, you know my heart. You know my God. Know him. And that word of know him is, is not just know about him, but that's, that's a word for an intimate relationship. And so David, as he speaks to his son, his passion is know the Lord, follow him, worship him, know the God of your father. Now, remember, they're surrounded by pagan nations. They stand out for their singularity of just worshiping the one true God. But the temptation will be strong there, and if I can... Cheat and tell you, Solomon's going to stumble in this area. Stunningly, he'll even build a temple to a foreign god right there in Jerusalem. But that's another story. But David looks him in the eye and says, Know the God of your father. Know him. Don't just go through the ritual, go through the motions. Know him. Serve him with a loyal heart. And I haven't checked a lot of translation, but that word, that word loyal literally means with a full heart. With a complete heart. We all know the difference, don't we, between wholehearted and half-hearted. Maybe you've been in a supervisory position at work and you've seen half-hearted laborers at work. And it's kind of frustrating. <laughs> you want to get this project done. Maybe as a parent, you've, you've sent your kids on a task and you come back out several hours later and where's the progress? They're half-heartedly pursuing it. Well, he's saying, seek the Lord and pursue him wholeheartedly. Not half-heartedly. Not don't just going through the motions. But with all your heart, serve the Lord. And with, with a loyal heart, and that has the, you know, and, and he's saying, with a loyal and a willing mind. And that has the idea of just, just a, a desire and a pleasure in serving him. So, what, what Solomon's trying to, David's trying to communicate to Solomon is, a wholehearted, full throttle commitment to the Lord. How easy it is to fall into just going through the motions of religion. Going up and offering the temples, saying the reciting the prayers, without really having a relationship with the Lord. And so David looks into the eyes of his son and says, this is what I want for you. Know the Lord. Serve him with all your heart. Serve him with gladness. That was David. He had a, he had a heart for the Lord. He delighted in him. Most of the Psalms are written by David. As he sings songs of worship to the Lord. That's why he wanted to build him a temple. Because he loved the Lord and wanted to honor him. But you know, one of the struggles with that is. That's not something you can push into the heart of someone else, is it? And so he has to appeal to Solomon. 
to open his heart for a full-hearted love of the Lord. It's interesting to me. He's, he's leaving him as king. He doesn't talk to him about military arrangements, be ready for the next battle. You know, all the things a king might talk about. Here's the treasury, watch out for this. Whatever it might be. But rather, he says, the most important issue that you will ever face, Solomon, is where's your heart? And parents, maybe you've felt the same thing when you're dealing with your sons and daughters, your grandsons and granddaughters. Oh, it would be nice to have this in order and that in order, but what's the most important thing of all? What's your relationship with the Lord? That you know Him. You love Him with all your heart. So we see something of, of David as he gives this charge. And notice, he does it publicly. With the, with the nation looking on, he turns to his son and says, Know the Lord and serve him with all your heart. He's preparing his legacy. And his legacy is a walk with the Lord. I'm challenged by that. What's the legacy that we're passing on? To the next generation. David could look into Solomon and says, You know my relationship with the Lord. I want you to have that. Can we see that to our next generation? You know our heart for the Lord. Follow my example. That's a challenge to us to set the example. And it's a challenge to us to to make sure our priorities are there and to focus on that, that you'll know the Lord. Well, from there, David turns to the nation in chapter 29. Uh, starting in verse 1, he says, Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom, <clears throat> whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great because the temple is not for, for man, but for the Lord God. Now for the house of my God, I prepared with all my might, he says, all these things. So as King David turns to them, the first thing he says is, now you know my son is young and inexperienced. That would be kind of, you can just imagine Solomon looking and saying, thanks, Dad, <laughs> for that, that vote of confidence. <laughs> But he's being honest. How old is Solomon? We're not exactly told, but I think he's in his teens. You think in England, the, the, the new king is in his 70s. Um, imagine coming on as king, as a teenager, of this, of, this na- of this nation that really has arisen into a power, a powerful nation and a prosperous nation. And so he says to the people, my son is young. Uh, he's, he's, he's fresh. Uh, he's inexperienced. You need to help him. You need to get behind him and support him in this effort. And then I won't read all the lists. I'll just give you an example. Again, what he's really focusing here is on the temple. On the temple. Why? Because that's the center of worshiping the Lord. And, and if they're oriented right with the Lord, everything else gets in place. If you're not oriented correctly with the Lord, then everything else is is scattered. 
It's a relationship with the Lord that sets things in order. And so he's saying, my son's inexperienced. You need to help him with this temple. Now for, he says in verse 2, Now for the house of my God, I have prepared with all my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, onyx stones, uh, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones, marble slabs in abundance. It's been, David, God told him, you can't build the temple. But God didn't tell him that he couldn't uh, prepare for it. And so it's been his passion to build up wealth for the temple. And so as he's acquired through, through trade and prosperity, he's been setting aside vast amounts of gold that will go into the temple, vast amounts of silver, bronze, iron, wood, all kinds of the finest stone, precious stones. And all of it's been his delight He's not there as some kind of a miser. Look at all I've gathered for me. But he looks over that and says, Lord, look what I've done. I've set this up for you. And he's telling the people, I've set up, I've set up what you need for this. And so it's joy in his heart. He says, you're ready. This has got to be a glorious temple because he's a glorious God. And I've given you an abundant start with all this gold, silver, bronze, precious stones. Well, then in verses 6 to 9, he then goes on to tell the leaders and even the people uh, that they too should give abundantly to the Lord. Let's make this a national effort. This isn't David's temple. It's the Lord's temple and it's Israel's temple. And there's there's an abundant response of giving. In verse 9, we're told, Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they'd offered willingly to the Lord. David had told uh, Solomon, Have a loyal heart, a willing heart. Have a full heart and serve joyfully. And now we see the people following in that example. Exactly the same words are used with wholehearted delight, joyfully, they started giving. And the, so the leaders gave, and, and, and the nation gave. Just an incredible treasury was built up for the project of building this temple. And as a result, the people, uh, when they realized what they'd done, they'd offered willingly to the Lord, King David and the people rejoiced together. Have you ever taken on a project and just seen everybody join in together and just there's this sense of, what a delight. Wasn't that wonderful? It wasn't necessarily easy, you know, but wasn't it just an incredibly good experience? But for example, we're in the, in the sports season and, and I won't get into particulars. Some of your teams, you're thinking, why did they start this year? <laughs> Some, but, but, but then sometimes if you're really for your team and maybe if you're on that team, you know, work, 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 drill, 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 work hard, get ready for the opponent and they go out and it all pulls together. Every play exactly as planned, and, and, and there's this glorious coming to the end of winning. They come back together, and there's a sense of, it was worth it. Wasn't that great? Wasn't it great to be on the same page and working so successfully? Well, that's where the nation of Israel is. Wasn't it great to work together and, and see this accomplishment? Well, this is for... I don't know how many, many, countless millions of dollars worth of giving is going on here. But can I use a smaller illustration? Yesterday, we had a work day. And you know what? It was kind of fun. 
I can say it was on because I wasn't on the one on the ladder cleaning mud out of the gutters. It was kind of an archaeological dig. It's been, I don't know, over a decade probably since those were uh, cleansed. Um, and it was a step of faith, literally several steps of faith to get up there for Joe. He, uh, uh, as he went, the, uh, the ladder shook with joy. <laughs> and I watched him up there, and there he faithfully for three and a half hours, up the ladder, scrape, move the ladder, scrape. But at the end of the day, joy. We, we started off the table with all these little stick'em notes of, of, of tasks. And you could, and, and what you needed was there, and you could choose the task based on your skill set. That meant there were very few of those that were applied to me. But, but at the end of the day, it was really fun to come back and say, the table's, the table's empty. All the tasks accomplished. Oh, there's a lot that needs to be done, but, but there's that joy of accomplishing something together. And there was a lot of, you know, enjoyment together in the fellowship of the task. That's the feeling here. Maybe, uh, of course, there's a couple of scenarios of how this could work when it comes to Thanksgiving. One approach is everybody pulls it all together like, I hope this meal here, we're going to come together and have this meal and it's going to be this sense of, isn't that great? Everybody put in their part and now we're having this great meal. Sometimes on Thursday it gets a little stressful. You know, the turkey's ready, but the green beans aren't, or whatever your formula might be. Uh, but, but isn't it kind of wonderful when everything pulls together? And this joint effort now we enjoy. That's, that's where the nation is. They weren't pressured into giving. It was with joy. And, and, and when they see the abundance, it, it encourages them all the more. What a great national effort to honor the Lord. A heart response. Well then, in verse 10, David joins in in the rejoicing. Therefore, David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, Lord, God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted over all. Now, think about what's just happened. David is passing the baton. His passion is that the people will get a heart for the Lord that will lead them into the next generation with, with God's blessing. That temple will be the center of it. And there's this outpouring from the leaders and the people to match David's generosity. How easily David could have launched into, you guys are great. But instead, what does he do? He says, you, Lord, are great. Because he realizes it was God that did it. It was God that brought them together. It was God moving in, in their hearts. And frankly, God's the one who gave them the wealth. In verse 12, riches, he says to God, and honor come from you. You reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand is to make great and to give strength. And so what he's saying is, God, all riches come from you. All the blessing comes from you. All the gold, silver, bronze, precious stones, God, you made it. And, and, and through your blessing, we have those things to give. 
And then verse 13, Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I? Who are my people that you should be able to, that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you. And of your own, we have given you. And so he says, God, we're giving you this gold and this silver and these jewels. But where do they come from? You gave them to us. We're simply returning to you what you've given to us. Kind of reminds me of, uh, of maybe a, maybe, you know, Christmas is coming. And, uh, you know, and so maybe your child comes to you and says, can I, uh, can I have $10, $20? Sure. Well, just, just, just trust me. I'd like to. And then at Christmas, they give you the, the gift they just purchased with your money. And now you could say, why don't you just let me hold on to the money? But instead, there's this attitude of, wow, that's great. You, you, you put thought into that, but yeah, you did it because I enabled you to do it, but, but your heart was to give me a gift. That's what David is saying is, Lord, we're not adding to your wealth. We have this stuff because you gave it to us. We're just giving you back what belongs to you. And then and in verse 15 and 16, we're aliens and pilgrims before you as we're, as we're our fathers. And so he's saying, we don't even own the land we live on. Lord, this is your land. Verse 16 of, of chapter 29, First Chronicles. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. He's saying, God, anything we give you, you first gave to us. And we're simply returning a portion as a love offering to you. And see, that's, that's what I'm struck, uh, that's what struck me for this Thanksgiving. That as we give thanks, it's a reminder, anything we have, anything we have, any blessing, it's, it's from God. And recognizing that, that it's not just a thing here or a thing here God gave us. Every breath we breathe is God's gift. And anything we give to him, he gave to us. I think David's prayer of praise is for, as an example for us at Thanksgiving. He, what he is saying is everything he has is from God. A lot of times we, uh, we'll, you know, people will, you know, will, will do an inventory in their mind of what they have. Good businesses do that all the time. Uh, you might do an inventory. You might look around and say, wow, things are going, it's been a good year. This is not a good year for me to use a sermon like that. This is a year when you can say, wow, we've, you know, uh, as, as one person said, my 401k is now just a 1k. It just, <laughs> it's been a rugged year. You know, whether it be your investments or sometimes, you know, and, the, and whatever else it might be. It's been hard. There have been, um, we, we were just talking to someone yesterday who was um, telling someone they've known for years that, that whole, that their, their restaurant business uh, couldn't survive the COVID. 
And here they are after they invested all and even put in extra. They were just in the expansion mode, and it all went away. This has been a hard season uh, across the world and in our land, and, and like I said, economically and other areas. And yet, do an inventory of everything you have. You have it because God gave it to you. Oh, someone might say, well, you don't understand. Uh, I worked hard. You couldn't if he hadn't given you the health. I'm really bright. Who gave you that brain? Um, and, and on and on we could say, who gave you the opportunities that you have? And there are people uh, as bright as you, as committed as you, living in other parts of the country who have nothing like you in other parts of the world, but you were planted here. And so just a reminder, as you take inventory, God gave it. And really what David is saying, and it's his. You know, too often when we, we fall into the trap of, of giving to the Lord and thinking, well, uh, Lord, you've given me all this. I'll, I'm going to give you a portion to show you my kindness to you. I'm going to give you a, a portion back to you. When really, it's all his. And so we're really, we're saying, Lord, you put me as a steward, as a caretaker of all this. Um, and so here, I'm, I'm going to you know, invest this in, in, in things that will be useful to you. And I'm going to, and I'm going to steward these things to also be for your glory. But it, it's all yours. It's not like I'm going to give you uh, the leftovers. <laughs> I'm going to give you this poor. I'm going to sacrificially give you this. It's all yours. It's like your child, you know, borrowing $20 and they come back and give you a $5 bill. And you say, I remembered it was more than that. Well, well, Dad, I'm, I'm going to give you 5 I loaned you 20 <laughs> I'm not going to ask for 22 I could. <laughs> but I want the 20 back. And so, so that's a good, it's, it's not ours. And so what that means is everything, everything that's in our little inventory is his gracious loan to us, even our health, even the breath we breathe, is God's gift to be used for his glory. David got that. Oswald Sanders said, The basic question is not how much of our money we should give to God, but how much of God's money we should keep for ourselves. I was really encouraged and challenged. I was reading... uh, the names of, of, of many a, a man whom God had, had, had blessed and how they were really moved to, to give generously uh, to the Lord. Like, do you ever brush your teeth with Colgate? The founder of that was a believer. And, and, he, and, and he was just, as God prospered him, he gave more and more. One of the classic examples is Letourneau University down in East, uh, Long, you know, towards Longview, Texas. Mr. Letourneau figured out how to make these really big earth-moving machines. And he was making really big money on them. And when he would send in the 10% and he'd look at how much was left with him, he said, this is really backwards. And so he thought he would turn that around. He'd keep 10% and give 90 to the Lord. And world missions was greatly impacted. Because he got the understanding, it's all the Lord's. And that was David's understanding. And and he's getting the fact, and the people are getting that too. So as we come to Thanksgiving, just a reminder, 
Every, everything we have is God's blessed gift to us. Even our life on earth. And remember, he said, we're just pilgrims on this world. We're just passing through. Lord, as we're passing through, may we be faithful. And again, I just, I'm stunned to see how grateful the people were as they gave. How joyful it was. You know, as they gave that gift to the Lord, it just thrilled them to see what God was doing. And again, I see that even just in our collective joy from yesterday. Wasn't that fun? Wasn't that great? What a, what a joy um, to come out on a cold day, get dirty, um, use muscles that haven't been used in a while, and you've kind of forgot we're there, and whatever else it may be, um, to the glory of God. And, and, and just walk away and say, wasn't that a great day together? That's where our life should be in, in our serving the Lord, in our giving to the Lord, And as we come to Thanksgiving, again, look around the table and say, thank you, God, for these who are at this table. Thank you for the table. Thank you for what's on the table. And thank you, Lord, that I have the strength and health to partake of what's on the table. But a a spirit of great gratitude. And again, it's a national thing, how we can look back and say, Lord, thank you for this nation. For those who came here originally seeking a place to worship with freedom. For those who have gone before us, and I always appreciate Abraham Lincoln's expression that paid the last full measure of devotion that we might have our freedoms. Thank you, Lord. For those even now who are in some uncomfortable place that we might enjoy such great abundance. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies. But give God the glory. One lady got that. One incident kind of records this concept. One Sunday morning after the service, a woman came up to the pastor and thanked him for the encouraging sermon he had preached. That happens sometimes. And the pastor responded, well, don't thank me, thank the Lord. She said, well, I thought of that, but it wasn't quite that good. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, so, but he was getting the idea. It's it's the Lord's, and she would say, "Don't don't blame him for that one." <laughs> but may God give us that spirit of gratitude. One of the things, one of the scenes that the Book of Revelation, you know, it has a lot of scenes that. Oh, what does that mean? That's a complex. One of the early scenes is when there's worship around the throne in heaven. And one of the things that's described is all the saints are wearing the crowns that represent their rewards for service. And it says as they worship the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the earth, they fall before him and they cast their crowns to him. You know what they're saying? I'm wearing this crown because of what I did. Lord, I couldn't have done this without you. This, this is your crown. This is your crown. And so that's a reminder to us that the most supreme gift we have is the gift of salvation. The gift that cost Christ everything. 
to leave the comforts and glories of heaven, to bear the wrath of God that we deserved, that we might bear his glory in the Father's presence. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then of all things of thanksgiving, thank you, God, for the salvation I did not deserve, for the salvation that you accomplished. Thank you, God, for opening my eyes to see and believe. If you have yet to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then let me just say to you, that is the most central thing. That's why David started when he turned to Solomon. Know your father's God. Because if you have everything else, but don't have God, Jesus said, what does it, what does it gain a man? To have the world's treasures and lose his soul. If you have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then happy Thanksgiving. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ is offering you eternity, forgiveness, and life. If you have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then I urge you, receive the gift of salvation. If you have questions about that, we'd be happy to talk to you and explain and help you understand that. But together, may we come before the Lord this Thanksgiving with a spirit that says, thank you, Lord, for all your grace toward us. It's of you. It's from you. And you get the glory. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for every gift we have. Father, may we be grateful, faithful servants. May we trust you with all our heart. May we serve you with joyful willingness. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.